who God is and what God can do. Joshua chapter 1, I want to read for us our text, verses 1 through 9 of Joshua chapter 1. This message I'm entitling, Responding to a Scary Proposition. Responding to a Scary Proposition. Joshua chapter 1, I want to read from verse 1 through verse 9 for us. The Bible says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan now, and all this people, unto the land which I did give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea, for the going down of the sun shall be coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Finally, verse 9. Have thou I commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Responding to a scary proposition, let's bow in prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, as we open the scriptures, I pray that I can just step aside so that only you, the Almighty, Elohim, True and living God can be seen and heard. I pray that you'll challenge us this morning through this testimony of Joshua to see that ultimately, if our lives are going to make a difference, it's going to be because of you and not through you. Spirit of God, would you fall on us? May you have free course. Speak to each and every part. In Jesus' name. Amen. Look carefully back in verse 9 again. Because here we find God came to Joshua and said, I've got a job for you. And I want you to lead my people into the promised land. What did he say to Joshua in verse 9? Be strong and have good courage. I believe that's instruction that Joshua must have felt weak. Then what does God say? Be not afraid. 
I believe that conveys the possibility that Joshua experienced fear. And then what did God say? He said to Joshua, nor be dismayed. And I believe that that conveyed the possibility that Joshua might have considered winning. You know, whenever people start to feel like they just can't do this, that's when God comes along. And he gets under us and he lifts us up to a new level of leadership and responsibility. <coughs> so, Brother Pat, how did it all get started with you as it relates to missions? Let me tell you a little bit about that. My first exposure to foreign missions happened during seminary. I took a year out, I took a year of sabbatical. I left seminary, I was up at Maranatha Baptist University there. And I believed God was calling me to the foreign field, so I took a break from seminary. A window of opportunity opened for me to go and pastor Bible Baptist Church, a little mission in Kuala Lumpur, the capital of the country of Malaysia, where I spent the next God blessed tremendously. We saw 20 people, mostly adults, baptized in that one year. But at the end of that one year, I wanted nothing more, nothing less than to finish seminary, find a wife, and come back to Kuala Lumpur and continue right where I left off. So I went back to seminary. I was challenged to go before the board of Baptist World Mission and apply for appointment. Of course, I went with the objective that they would appoint me as a missionary and I can go back to Malaysia. So I'm sitting before the board, sharing my testimony, and they convene, and they make their decision to appoint me to go to the island of Guam, of all places. It's a funny story. I don't have time to tell you. Someday, when I come back again, when your pastor's on vacation again, I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you that part of the story. But uh, they knew that I had been corresponding long distance with this young senior teacher, Mary Ryan, who's now my wife of 33 years. <coughs> they decided Pat Delaney, more than anything else, needs a good wife. So let's appoint him and send him to the world. And they did. And we got married in the middle of that year. And then when we were there on Guam, Dr. Fred Morris, the former executive director, wrote me and said, you know, Brother Pat, um, I'll tell you what, there's another couple that's come to us, and we just appointed them to go to Malaysia. And they're going to go back to the church you were at. And my heart just said, I was devastated. But he says, I'll tell you what, there's a church in Singapore. And I've been in touch with those people and another pastor here in America, and they really want somebody to come over and help them and say, why don't you pray for So Mary and I, we got in touch with that church in Singapore, and uh, lo and behold, they said, Brother Blaine, come on over. Preach a church camp for us. We'll go up into the highlands of Malaysia. You can have a week to preach to our people. And then when we come back to that church camp, let's have a week of revival meeting. You can preach for another week to our people. And, and we'll see how the Lord's leading us and how the Lord's leading you. Well, you know, here's what happens. Mary and I leave 
shore of the field in Southeast Asia. I mean, I take her to Indonesia, I take her Singapore, Malaysia, Hong Kong. But just as we get to Singapore and we collect our bags and we walk out of baggage and the sliding glass, there is another couple from my I won't expose his name, but he says, Brother Pat, I heard you're going to be preaching over at Baptist Fellowship Church. Well, we just got here two days ago. We've raised all our support, and I got in touch with the same church to have them take a look at me. And my heart just crashed because I knew this guy and his wife, they've raised all their support. They're ready to go. I have to go back to America and raise my support. And I knew the writing was on the wall. This is You know, I was going to be leaving there when it's all said and done and flying back to America. But once I touch American soil, I have to look my father-in-law in the eye, my new father-in-law, and he's going to say, well, Pat, how are your plans going? And I would have to tell him, Dad, my feet are firmly planted in midair. Because <laughs> I don't know how things are going. And you know, that first night in America, my heart was just thumping away. I went to mom and she's cleaning up in the kitchen. I said, Mom, I need to make a phone call. Can I borrow your phone? Remember, this is my first night in my new in-law's home. She said, Dad, just go into our bedroom. There's a phone right next to our bed. Close the door. Call loving and talk. It's 10 o'clock at night. And I rang Maranatha Baptist Seminary. Because I know Dr. Weininger, the former president, he's working late into the night. And sure enough, he picked up the phone. And he says, well, Pam, why are you calling me? It's pretty late here, son. I said, Dr. Weininger, I told him the whole story. He says, Pat, I know so-and-so. You know so-and-so. Let me just ask you a couple questions. I said, what is it, Doc? He said, Pat, what is mission? Church plan. Pat, why don't you just go back to Singapore and start a church from scratch? Why didn't I think of that? And all of a sudden, in my heart, I caught a vision for genuine New Testament church plan. And I set my nose like a flint to follow that path. And over the next 18 years, because we raised our support in the year, had our first child, and we were on our team. God blessed. The church was planted, the national was trained, and we were on our way to another field. God was so good. You know, today, if you're one of those folks who says, wow, God's called to the mission field, that's just so far beyond me. I do not have the strength the courage, the power that's required to do such a thing, would you please listen carefully? Because I believe that Joshua and the call of God upon his life must have felt the very same way. But in God's appointment of Joshua, God offers Joshua three commands. Cross the Jordan, be strong, and meditate in my word. Let's take a look at all three commands. First of all, cross the Jordan. We go to verse 2. And Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan. 
circumstances, what's taking place at that very time? Chapter 3, verse 15, we see there's a flood. Joshua chapter 3 and verse 15, and as they that bear the ark were come unto Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water, for Jordan overflowed all his banks, all time of harvest. You know, this river was simply uncrossable. <laughs> And I want you to think about what the DMV teaches regarding operating a motor vehicle when you're driving down the road and there's water covering the surface. What are we, what are we taught in driver education? Turn around, don't drown. And I think when Joshua took a look at this water, and I grew up in the Mississippi River, I've gone through floods, and I think as he saw the crest, of, the, of uh, the Jordan River, he thought, I, I, I think now's a good time to turn around, guys. Let's not drown. You know, not only would it be difficult in the world in which we live today facing that situation, but back then it would have been a impossible situation. And to make things worse, God never gave any instructions to Joshua about how to go about it. But there was something even more significant here than just crossing a flooded river. There were real enemies on the other side. And to step onto the other side of that river was to be a declaration of war. You know, it makes me think of D-Day and what American vets went through there in World War II. We've seen all the movies of them getting out of those amphibious vehicles, going down into the water, and I mean, many were slaughtered before they ever hit the beaches. Joshua knew what was ahead. And you know what? He didn't have trained men. He didn't have a trained army with him. All Joshua had were families. Families of women and children, some fathers, who had been proven unfaithful many times. Joshua was facing an incredible situation, and he can't say to him, Get up, Joshua! Arise! Let me ask you a personal application. What's the hardest part of any job assignment? Getting started. Amen? The most difficult words to write of any book any research paper, the very first sentences. The difficult part of sharing the gospel are the first few sentences we utter out of our mouths when trying to give a gospel witness. What God was doing to Joshua here applies to us today. Because if God has told you to do something, my friend, then just do it. And until you're willing to take that first step, you're never going to know the blessing and the possibilities that God can accomplish through you until you allow him to do so. So you need to call somebody to join you. And get up. And get going. But then what? Well, in addition to get up, keep going. 
Go back to verse 5, Joshua chapter 1. Let me read for us verse 5. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. You know, when I first started that church in Singapore, it was called Open Bible Baptist Church. It's changed since then. But when I started Open Bible Baptist Church, I could not understand why preachers always talked about resigning their churches on Mondays. You know the old story, right? It was a joke. Preachers always write their resignation letters every Monday morning. Well, that thought never crossed my mind. I love the ministry. Then eight years, two terms passed, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. I remember vividly the morning when I just thought about what I accomplished in two terms of ministry in Singapore, and I got down on my knees at my desk there in the office, and I began to weep. I mean, it was groaning. And through my tears, I cried out, is this all you have for me to accomplish? Ministering to a couple handfuls of people? I envision so much more. Is this it? And I'm heaving with tears. And it's just like the still small voice again. If you knew that this is what I created you for, and nothing more, would you still serve me? And at that moment, there was a reckoning of my soul. What's the motivation for continuing in the ministry when difficult times come? God offers Joshua both a guarantee as well as a promise in that verse, verse 5 I just read for you. God guarantees Joshua that none of his enemies would be able to overtake him. None of the giants of the land would be able to conquer him. And Joshua would always be the undeniable winner with God's help. And the same is true for us today. If we're going to be doing what God has called us to do, nothing is going to be able to overcome us. In the rest of verse 5, God promises Joshua he would be with him, just like he was with Moses. Remember, it was through God's power that Moses received the water out of the rock. And it was through God's power that Moses was able to receive the manna from heaven. Moses' life is a testimony to the presence, power, and provisions of God. And notice he got rid of the last phrase in verse 5, Joshua chapter 1. What does God say? I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. And in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, we find a reference back to this same promise. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have, for he himself had said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know, in one of my old Bibles, years ago, this goes back to 1991 in Singapore, I heard a man teach, and I wrote these three statements down 
at the beginning of the book of Joshua in that old Bible. I want to share these three points with you this morning. I think it's so apropos. Listen to this. Jot it down if you please. Number one, it is the task of a servant to obey his master. Caleb, if God has called you to Japan, it is the task of a servant to obey his master. Number two, it is the obligation of the master, God, it is the obligation of the master to provide everything that servant will ever need. The obligation of the master to provide everything that servant will ever need. Number three, therefore that servant should never be afraid of anything. That servant should never be afraid of anything. You know, it took seven years for Joshua to conquer Canaan. And the secret of Joshua was obedience. Canaan wasn't conquered overnight. Joshua advanced on God's timetable. And that's what you must do. That's what I must do. So, command number two. Not only was he to get up and get going, but number two, he was to be strong. Three times in verses six, seven, and nine, we read, be strong. Notice verse 6 starts out with those two words. Be strong. Verse 7. Only be thou strong. Jump to verse 9. The second sentence. Be strong and of a good courage. This passage is not just for pastors. It's not just for missionaries like me or those who work with missionaries. Every believer is called to serve the Lord Jesus Christ in his local church. We've all been given a spiritual gift, and that gift is not to be buried. That gift is to be utilized in the community of God's people for God's glory. You see, God has made an investment in his children, and he's going to expect a return on that investment. Amen? Every Christian is a leader in one way or another. Whether you're a teacher, a nursery worker, or simply a mother or a father, in the course of one's ministry responsibility, it's not unusual, though, to be tempted with fear. Can I tell you about when Mary and I first arrived in Singapore? I mean that very, very first morning. Now remember, deputation went well. Whereas many missionaries take three years for Israel to go somewhere. Very well. When we went to Singapore, keep in mind, we had already five years of mission field experience between us. Mary taught Harvest Christian Academy on Guam for three years. I spent a year in Palmer, Malaysia. Then I went to Guam for a year. So we never got to Singapore. And I was so determined to get our support, I would cross any river. I'd cross any mountain, any river. I was going to just let us go. So we raised our support, had our first child in a year. Our first child, Sarah, was five months old when we crossed the pond. And so we got to Singapore, and they put us up in this home where we would initially stay the first couple weeks while we looked for our own more permanent place to live. And we got into Singapore at 4 a.m. in the morning. 
You know, by late morning, I was exhausted, and they said, why don't you guys go back to the house and take a nap? It sounds good to me. And so we laid down, little Sarah was between us, and I dozed for two hours. Then I woke up. And when I woke up, I put my feet on the side of that bed, and I looked back at Mary and little baby Sarah, and I just started crying. What have I done? What have I done? The weight of coming to this country and now facing planting a church from scratch, it was all too much. <coughs> and I broke down. Was I afraid? You know, there are two extremes we need to avoid in life, and here they are. Number one, we must never run away from our responsibility to serve the Lord. It all starts right there. But number two, we must never be overly confident in our abilities as well. So what's required? Balance. Balance demands our dependence on Almighty God. It's not about me. It's about God working through me for His glory. Let's ask ourselves these questions. Where does courage come from? And does it mean the absence of fear? Courage comes from faith in God's sovereignty. God's absolute control over all the circumstances of life. 2 Corinthians 12.9 And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And therefore, most gladly would I rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ might rest upon me. Number two, courage comes from the fact that we are convinced that we're doing what is right and part of God's will for my life. The courage God gives enables us to face the danger and difficulty with an inner determination in spite of our fears. Listen to these verses. 1 Corinthians 2, 3. And I was with you, as I was, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. 2 Corinthians 7, 5, the Bible says, For when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. But we were troubled on every side, without refining with inner fears. So what is courage? Well, it's not the absence of fear. Dr. J. Oswald Sanders defines courage this way. He wrote in his famous book on spiritual leadership, quote, courage is the highest form, in its highest form, demanded of a spiritual leader. Courage of the highest form is demanded of a spiritual leader. Martin Luther displayed incredible courage. Some believe that he was the most fearless man who ever walked the planet. In 1521, Luther was called to face the Holy Roman Emperor. You know what happened. Charles V. Why? Because Luther was unwilling to submit to the Emperor's authority and that of the Roman Catholic Church. And as he began that famous journey to Worms, Germany said, you can expect from me everything except fear or recantation. I shall not run away. 
much less repent. And when Luther's friends surrounded him, trying to persuade Luther about the dangers that were ahead of him, he said, don't go to Burns. I shall go to Burns. Though there were as many devils as there are tiles on the roof. You know, dear friends, the highest degree of courage is often seen in those who may be the most fearful at that moment. But they refuse to give up. They refuse to give in. So give up. Be strong. And thirdly, probably most importantly, meditate in my word. Meditate in my word. J.A. Bango. That may mean anything to you. I didn't think so. Well, let me explain who J.A. Bango was. He was a theologian. He was a theologian back in the 1700s. He was a pietist. He wrote what's called a gnomon. What's a gnomon? G-N-O-M-A-N. It's an index. He wrote a gnomon for the Greek New Testament. That's how well he knew the Greek New Testament. But J.A. Bengal said, and I quote, Apply thyself wholly to the scriptures, and apply the scriptures wholly to thyself. What a statement. Apply thyself wholly to the scriptures, and apply the scriptures wholly to thyself. Even the Son of God used his Father's word in temptation. Dear friends, the word of God. Bible reading, Bible memorization, Bible meditation is for the busy believer. The person who has tons of responsibilities, who sincerely wants God to use them for his glory, and it's said that George Mueller read the Word of God 200 times in his lifetime. Read it through from cover to cover. Spurgeon said this, A Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone who's not falling apart. In his prime, my former boss, the former executive director of Baptist World Mission, Dr. Fred Morton, in his prime, he was reading the Bible through, I know for a fact, Four times every year I watched it. You know, if you don't take time to read, to meditate, to memorize, you should. Your busy schedule, my busy schedule, is not what hinders us from reading or meditating on the screen. Both the business person and the homemaker need to spend a good portion of time getting to know the God of the Word. Being a person of the Word of God carries some very special rewards. Notice the end of verse 8 in our text. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou wilt have good success. So the successful Christian is the person who lets his life be guided by the Lord. Joshua experienced that kind of success. And you can be sure he experienced hardship. 
And he knew what it was like to fail, but he was wise, and he followed God's command. Well, I realize some of this truth does not appeal to the average Christian today. Why? Because people in this world today want immediate results. You know, people today want to get what they want, and they want to get it fast. They want to get rid of what they don't want, and they want to get rid of it just as fast. Who wants to wait for anything in this world today? I mean, think of Black Friday. Now we don't even have huge lines on Black Friday because people are staying at home ordering online. You know, this applies to problems in our lives. They may be financial problems. We want to dispel them, expunge them right now. Maybe emotional problems, spiritual problems. Dear friends, if God were to remove all of our problems immediately, it wouldn't allow the development of a relationship with God that's so essential, that's so precious, that's so personal. A relationship with God that takes place over time. It involves And it's that kind of devotion that leads to successful demands of those ministry. So what is your Jordan this morning? Is it like Caleb? You're facing deputation. Maybe your Jordan is a health issue. And you, like Brother Umstead, have many medical tests that are a week or two away. Maybe your struggle, your Jordan this morning, or is a financial problem. You're in debt up to your eyeballs and you have no way to escape. I challenge you this morning, dear friends. Take the first step by crossing the joy. Make yourself available to God. Secondly, be strong, depending upon the Lord for His strength and guidance with each step. And thirdly, strengthen your own personal relationship with God through that process of reading, memorizing, and meditating on your God.